Listen to the scriptures. Come to me all you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us rest in God's mercy as we pray together the prayer of confession. Take away our distractions, O God, so that we may be confronted by your expectation of us. We realize that our busy striving after things have dulled our awareness of you. We have sought fulfillment in ways that deny you and hurt other people. Sometimes our success tramples the needy and brings ruin to the poor. Even our benevolence becomes self-serving. O oh God, we want to find our hope in the gospel. Help us to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. of that historic and great creed, let us affirm our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now on this beautiful summer day, let's take a moment to greet one another in the spirit of our Lord.
Good morning. We welcome you to worship here at Church of the Palms. We are thankful that you are a part of our worshiping community this morning as we seek to praise God and be aware of what God's word is for our life as we seek to wonder about our calling and our commissioning into the world. We hope that you'll find this to be a place of welcome. We would love for you to fill out the friendship pads in the pews and pass those along to your neighbor and note those folks who are sitting near you that uh, you may know about uh, them and perhaps you can uh, invite them for a little uh, time underneath the tree for a conversation and for some fellowship and for any other information that you may find that is out underneath the tree after our service today. Just a couple of announcements to bring to your attention. A reminder again that we have uh, rescheduled the Ben and Julianne Zobrist event uh, to August the 4th. It's two weeks from today uh, in the evening here in the sanctuary. So we have uh, released more tickets for you to purchase and that will be a way not only for you to come, but also for you to support the Day of Hope, which you will be learning about in a very short moment. Uh, we've had uh, uh, two trips, uh, one coming and one going uh, over the course of this past week. Our Montreat uh, students, the high school students who went up to Montreat this past week returned yesterday safe and sound, so we're grateful for that. Lots of great stories for them to tell about the things that happened for them and with them over the course of the last several days as they sought spiritual renewal up in Montreat, North Carolina. And then this week, we also sent off another student group, uh, students and adults, to Nicaragua. And they took off the middle of this week and uh, will be there for the remainder of this coming week. Uh, and we encourage you to pray for them as uh, they will, I'm sure, bring back great stories of God's work in that part of our world. A reminder as well, we began our Life Tree Cafe just uh, last Sunday, and that is over in the Campus Center right after this service. Uh, you can head over there, grab a cup of coffee on the way, and it's a wonderful experience. We had a great start to the program, lots of folks uh, to uh, be gathered around tables to just to talk about various issues that are relative to our own spiritual lives and uh, to the world. Uh, many found it to be really, really thought-provoking, and we encourage you to come and uh, join us for that just after the service next door in the campus center uh, and i guarantee you you will have a great experience next week we say goodbye officially uh, to judy lutz who is our organist um, boo hiss right i think we should take another vote on that um, <laughs> but i won't be here next week so i just want to stop and say Thank you, my dear friend, for your ministry in our midst. Judy is just one of those great servants of Jesus who has uh, faithfully served us for over 20 years here at Church of the Palms. And uh, she and John are leaving uh, over the course of these next couple of months. And we will be able to officially say uh, goodbye to both of them together on September the 27th. So mark that down on your calendar. We will have an event here, dinner, I think a mild roast. Um, so uh, anyway, Judy, I just want to give you a hug and say thank you for your ministry with us. Thank you. I mentioned Day of Hope uh, just a couple of seconds ago, and we have this morning Lynn Trichelle and Denise Griffin who are here to share with us a little bit about Day of Hope. So come on up, ladies, and share with us the good news of what's happening in a couple of weeks. Hi, I'm Lynn Truchelle. This is Denise Griffin. 
and we are coordinating this year's Day of Hope. Uh, first and foremost, thank you to everyone who has either participated last year or uh, has volunteered for this year's event and or has donated. Sorry about that. Um, this is the church's second Day of Hope event. Um, we're actually having it this year uh, in two weeks, as Steve mentioned. It is Saturday, August 3rd. Um, we are um, very excited about it. We're feeling a little bit anxious and nervous, and you'll hear in a moment why. Uh, last year, though, I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, what happened here. Uh, we had 300 church volunteers here at this church serving 108 children, which represented 80 families. And um, what we did, in case you're not familiar with Day of Hope, we kind of think or thought that everyone knew what it was, but we have gotten some questions, and so we wanted to kind of let everyone know um, that it is a day-long event. It's here on the Campus Center. It actually takes over the entire campus. And what we do is serve the neediest of the kids in Sarasota County. And what I mean, uh, the neediest of the kids, these are the children who are basically deemed homeless in this area. And what we do is we bring them in for a day of hope. We actually uh, feed them several meals. We provide them all the necessary items, uh, forms, things that they need to get back to school. And so that means that we will give them a medical exam. We give them a dental exam, eye exam, audio exam. They get their hair cut. They get pictures taken, not only of themselves, but of their families. Um, we throw in some fun, we have activities, and then we provide them with a uh, backpack full of supplies, gift cards uh, to both Payless shoes and also to Bells so that they can go back with a new pair of shoes and some clothes, and we give them a bag of groceries as well. Um, it's truly a blessed day. Uh, the day started in 2009 by a lady named Pam Hahn. She was a single parent who decided that she needed help getting school supplies ready, so what do all these other uh, parents with don't have the means to help get rid of, help their kids? So last year, there were three churches, 400 kids. This year, six churches, 1,600 kids, and we're blessed to be a part of that. Um, I had volunteered at a church to do this a, a year ago, two years ago, and felt so blessed to be a part of their day serving them that I spoke to Pastor Bruce and said, what are your thoughts on this? And he says he's been thinking the same things, that we could bring it to the church here. So we did, and the congregation, everybody showed up. 300 volunteers on one day was such a blessing. So God was present, and we pray for it to happen as beautifully again this year. So how can the congregation assist? Uh, first of all, we would ask all of you to pray, um, to pray for the event. Uh, we're hoping for a sunny day. Uh, pray for the students and their families. I mean, these kids, these are, these are families in need, um, and we need to be praying for them. Uh, also, we want you to pray for the volunteers. Uh, it is a hectic event. Uh, there is some anxiety that goes along with it, and um, so they need your prayers as well. Volunteering, if you have not signed up or if you have not heard from somebody since you've signed up, uh, please get in touch with us. Uh, we'll be either under the tree or in your bulletin. There is a, um, an email address to um, contact Linda Rollins, who's the volunteer coordinator. 
Uh, and finally, uh, we are making a plea for shoes, tennis shoes. Um, this is one of the extras that we offer to the kids. Um, they found it, it just exciting last year to kind of dig through the pile of shoes and walk out actually wearing a pair of new shoes. Uh, so we're asking for tennis shoes uh, in particular, and we're asking for either youth-sized or young adult-sized tennis shoes uh, and socks because they need socks to go with their shoes. Um, so if, if you um, can find the time to pick up some tennis shoes, that would be wonderful. If you're not a shopper uh, and you would like to drop off a donation, we'll shop for you. Uh, but that is something that we are still uh, very short on. Okay, and some last little reminders and details. One, two, is also to remind you that this is not just a day to give supplies. It is a day to give your love and to serve and to let others feel Christ's love through you, as they did last year, abundantly. So, if you're an ambassador, there's a training session today at 1015 in room 206. If you're not sure if you want to be an ambassador or not, show up to the training, find out what it's about. It's, it's escorting the families around the campus that day. Um, come see what it's about. 1015, room 206. Then there's the rally dinner on July 28th at 530 in the campus center, a way to thank you, a way for you to familiarize what you'll be doing that day for your duties, a way to, to socialize together too because we are doing this together and it's also a way to just share fellowship with each other. And we're under the tree if you have any questions between services the next two weeks. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we come to you as a grateful people, remembering your grace poured out for us. We gather in worship to praise and glorify you and hear your holy words to us. We lift up our concerns for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, particularly those who are in places of danger or want or oppression. We pray for all missionaries in your service and for those who serve in harm's way on our behalf in our country. Be with those who suffer, for we know you desire fullness and joy in life for all people. We pray that you will grant that they may all be surrounded by the sure knowledge of your peace and protection. Gracious God, touch those who are sick with your healing hands, we pray. Bless this Church of the Palms and enable us to be a blessing for all of our members and for this community of Sarasota and around the world. May we speak the gospel clearly. May we share resources with those in need. May we comfort those who grieve and stand by those who live with illness of any kind. Grant, O Lord, that we may be known as a people of worship, learning, justice, and compassion. Bless all those who provide leadership among us, and we give you thanks for bringing our young people and their advisors safely back home. And we pray for you to be with our mission team now traveling in Nicaragua. We bring our prayers to you in the name of our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us continue to worship God in our giving.
Let us pray. Our most generous and loving God, please accept these tokens of our love, for we bring them to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated, and I would like to invite Jen Clifton and our children to come forward. Good morning, everybody. Come on down. Come on, guys. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, ladies. Find a seat. There you go. Let's go. Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good. Excellent. I have a question for you. Has anybody here ever been invited to a party? Maybe a birthday party? What do you think? Been invited to a party before? Oh, they're so much fun. Have you ever been the host of a party? Meaning, did you give the party? Did you invite the people to your party? What do you think? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, that's a lot of fun. But when you're going to have a party, the first thing you have to do is decide, who am I going to invite to this party, right? Got to make a guest list. And then you got to make an invitation. Fill out your invitation, tell them where to go and when to be there. Put it in an envelope, give it to the post office, and let them mail it for you. Here I've got an invitation. I've addressed it to someone, put their address on it, put a stamp, got my return address, ready to give it to the post office. Going to hand it to them, and now it's going to be their job to deliver it for me. But, you know, it's Florida, so it rains a lot here. And the post office says, you know what, we don't really like to get wet. So in a couple months, when it stops raining, we'll deliver your invitations, okay? Not a problem for you guys, right? Yes, that's a problem! My party is soon! And if they don't deliver those invitations right away, the people are going to miss my party. They have to deliver my invitations right away. Now, what if Jesus wanted to have a party? Or just get together with some friends? I wonder who he would invite. Who would be on his guest list? I'll tell you who. Everybody! He would want to invite everybody to his party. That's a lot of invitations. That's a lot of work for the post office. Might keep them busy for a couple years, right? But I'll tell you what, Jesus didn't pick the post office. That's not who's going to deliver his invitations. Do you know who's delivering his invitations? Hope you guys ate your Wheaties this morning, because you are. You guys down there are going to deliver some. You guys over here are going to deliver some. We're going to handle some here in the middle. All these people out here, I hope they ate their Wheaties too. They have some invitations to deliver. Okay, God picked you guys, and he picked me to deliver his invitations. Let me read to you just two verses this morning from Matthew chapter 28. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, those verses have a fancy name. They are called the Great Commission. But what that means is that God picked you guys. He picked all of us, and he's sending us out there to deliver those invitations, to tell people that God loves them and that he wants to see them. He wants to talk to them and hang out with them. 
That's what the Great Commission means. I'll give you a couple of examples. I'm not Miss Lori, you may have noticed. Miss Lori is not here with us this morning. She let me hang out with you guys instead because Miss Lori is busy out there delivering invitations. She and Pastor Bruce and our youth, our youth pastor Jeff and a couple other members of our church are in Nicaragua. And No, it's a funny sounding word, isn't it? They're in Nicaragua and they're delivering invitations. They are telling people about God's love and they're showing people God's love by serving them and helping them. Do you remember people standing up here in our church and talking about us raising money for the Jesus film? You remember hearing about that? Well, we raised enough money here at our church that they're going to make a film, a movie, all about Jesus, but they're not making it in English. They're making it in a language that some people in Africa will understand so that they can listen to the story of Jesus and they can understand it because it's in their language. That's how they're going to get the invitation. We're sending it to them in a movie. If you would bow your heads with me this morning and pray with me. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you loved us and invited us to come to you. We ask you to help us be faithful in delivering your invitation to others. Amen. be seated. Well, you'd be glad to know that next week Mingi is preaching, which means you don't have to hear about baseball. 
but today you do. <laughs> this morning we are in the Gospel according to Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning at the 11th verse. Hear the word of God. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe and the best one and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and, and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the slaves and asked, what was going on? And he replied, well, your, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Our second lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at the 19th verse. Paul writes and says, for though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I came, became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. 
To the weak I became weak so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. Do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessing. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we ask, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh, that we may know of your grace and of your mercy in Christ's name, amen. Three years ago, the baseball world was met with a moment of heartache. Armando Galarraga was pitching for the Detroit Tigers against the Cleveland Indians. Galarraga was on his way to pitching the perfect game. A perfect game in baseball is when no batter from the opposing team makes it to first base safely. 27 hitters up, 27 hitters down. It is a rare moment in baseball. Only 23 times in 133 years has a perfect game been pitched. No hits, no walks, no errors. 20 hitters up, 27 hitters up, 27 hitters down. Armando Galarraga had faced 26 batters, and as they say in baseball, retired them all. Only one left. At first base was umpire Jim Joyce, a highly respected umpire with years and years of exceptional work calling balls and strikes, outs and safes. Jason Donald, the 27th hitter of the night, struck a ground ball to the second base side of the field, which many assume would be the last out of the game. The ball went deep into the hole, making it maybe a little less than a routine play, but Miguel Cabrera got the ball to the first baseman in time by at least one half step before the runner. In the eyes of all witnessing the event, the culminating out of a perfect game, everybody saw it, everybody knew it, except the umpire. Jim Joyce saw something different. He saw an out. He saw the ball arrive by the run, by before the runner and out went his arms and he called them safe. Safe. The Tigers were stunned, the fans were stunned, manager Jim Leyland was stunned, Armando Galarraga was stunned, a perfect game illegitimately denied. They argued, they begged for the call to be overturned, they looked at the video for proof, and proof was there. They appealed to the commissioner, can't something be done to grant this pitcher what was his due? No. The rule is the rule. The umpire makes the call. Jim Joyce knew he made the wrong call. He apologized to the denied pitcher, but once the umpire makes his call, the call stands. Right or wrong, that's the law. And the results were heartbreaking. Baseball, like any other sport or any other game for that matter, maintains itself by virtue of its rules, its laws. 
The laws are there to make things fair, to prevent any player, any team from gaining an unfair advantage. Competition remains compelling only when there is some assurance that the rules are the same for everybody. The steroid scandal in baseball has left a pall on the game because it calls into question how level the playing field has been or is even now. No player or team should be left at a disadvantage. It is one thing to feel the pain of losing within the fairness of competition, but it is more than heartbreaking when the law itself puts someone at a disadvantage. Armando Galarraga did everything he was required to do to be listed in the history books, but the law said otherwise. Any game, any society, any culture has to wrestle with the unintended consequences of the law. Certainly our good country has wrestled with, with that throughout its history. What are the intended or unintended consequences of the law? Jim Crow laws were the law of many states for a long time, but the law itself was the problem and hearts and lives were broken as a result. Even today, the debate over voting rights and immigration and marriage and stand your ground, our struggles to understand how the law should read and how the law should be enforced to give everyone the fairest of advantages. Certainly the law was at the center of Jesus' teaching and ministry. What to do when the law, instead of drawing people to God, pushes them away? What to do when the law places some in a place of advantage and privilege and places others at a disadvantage? What to do when the law, which was intended to provide people with a discipline and ritual of life whereby they might experience a deeper communion with God, would all of a sudden be turned around to be used as a gate, sometimes even as a weapon against those whose lives made it difficult for them to achieve such discipline and ritual? Jesus was seeing this as the norm of his religious life in that day. The law was creating an unlevel playing field. Some were clearly at a disadvantage. So scripture tells us the good rabbi took his place not among the law abiders, but among the law breakers the tax collectors and sinners is what Luke calls them. They were, they were coming near to Jesus. They were rubbing up against Jesus. Too close for comfort, said the umpires, i.e. the Pharisees, who thought they were the ones who got the call to play. He hangs out, they said, with the unclean ones, with the sinners, the tax collectors, the disadvantaged, the ones not playing by the What's the point of the rules, Jesus says? And so in Luke 15, he tells some stories, the most famous of which is the story of the father with the two sons. And like any father with two sons, there have to be rules. I'm one of four sons. There have to be rules. Every child needs rules. And the older son is the son who's decided to play by the rules. And the younger son is the son who's chosen not to. 
He goes outside the rules. He, he goes outside the family farm. He goes as far as the far country to make up his own rules. And when he realizes how far he has taken himself, how far he has taken himself away from the routine of life with his father and family, he turns to go home. And when he gets home, he is the first to say that he's broken the rules. But for the grateful father, the rules are beside the point. Time to kill the fatted calf. Time to strike up the band. My son was lost and is found. He was, he was dead and is alive. But then there is the elder son. What about the rules? Don't we have rules anymore, he asks. Don't we care about the rules? And the father says, son, son, you're missing the point. The rules are about us, they're about the family. They're, they're about the joy of the home, the ritual of relationships. It would, it would break my heart if the rules kept your brother from coming home. Oh no, says the umpire. Oh no, says the Pharisee, the older brother. Oh no, 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 we've got rules. And rules are rules. And Jesus says, oh, my son, the family was not made for the rules. The rules are made for the family. Do you recall a few years ago a women's college softball game played between Central Washington and Western Oregon? Two teams competing hard for the conference championship that year. They were in the second game of a doubleheader when Western Oregon star Sarah Tukulski came to the plate. Sarah was a good hitter but had never before ever hit a home run. High school, college, never hit a home run. And finally came her moment. With two on, she hit one over the fence. In her excitement, after having just hit her first home run, she rounded first but she forgot to touch first base. Now the rules say you have to touch the bag. So as soon as she went past, she remembered and she turned to go back to touch first. But as she turned, her leg did not pivot correctly and before she knew it, her knee gave way. She went to the ground and what would later to be found to be a torn ACL. In great pain and unable to stand, she crawled back to first base. What to do? The manager asked the umpire, what can we do? She, she hit a home run, she, she, but she can't round the bases. Well, the rules, said the umpire, say that any of her own teammates help, she will be called out right away. And if they replace her with a runner, she can only be granted first base because she did not herself round the bases. What to do? Well, that's when Mallory Holtman from Central Washington, the opposing team, Mallory Holtman, who, by the way, held the record for the most home runs in the conference, stepped forward to say that there was nothing in the rules that said that players from the opposing team couldn't help her, couldn't carry her, couldn't make sure that she got what she deserved. No, said the umpire, nothing in the rules that says the other team can't help. 
And so Mallory and another teammate picked up their opponent and walked her around the diamond, leaning over at each base, allowing her foot to touch the base so that she could come home and score what would be the winning run. There is the letter of the law, but there is the spirit of the law. Explains, doesn't it, when the apostle writes to those Corinthians who, who seem pretty torn up about who's following the rules and who's not following the rules, who's keeping the law and who's not keeping the law. And so it seems I'm missing the point. And so Paul says to them, you know, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law so that I might win those under the law. And to those outside the law I became as one outside the law to win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak so that I might win the weak. I have become, Paul says, all things to all people so that I might by all means save some. That's the spirit of the law. Paul says. It is the purpose of God that all might be drawn into his irresistible grace. The law serves us no good if the law should prevent us from welcoming all into the kingdom of God. You've likely heard the apocryphal story of the two American GIs in Normandy during World War II whose comrade had been killed. They carried the body of their dead comrade to be buried in a cemetery. They found a cemetery and went to the rectory and asked permission from the Roman Catholic priest to bury him inside the walls of this Catholic cemetery. And the priest said, well, actually, no. The rules say that you have to be a member of our parish. So I'm sorry, I don't think I can. The rules won't allow. The two comrades implored him to change his mind. I'm sorry, son. The rules are the rules, but you're welcome to bury him just, you know, outside the fence, just, you know, outside the fence. The two GIs reluctantly dug the grave outside the fence, said a prayer over their comrade, planned the next day to come back to put a marker at the grave. So the next afternoon they returned and went to go alongside the fence to where they dug their grave, but they couldn't find it. No grave. They walked up and down along the fence. They couldn't find the grave that they had dug just the day before. They knew they had dug it, so they went and asked the priest, Father, forgive us, but you know, we're the ones that came yesterday, and you told us to bury our friend alongside the fence of the cemetery, and, and we did, but we, now we can't find him. Oh, yes, yes, said the father. You know, I was so upset about your visit yesterday that I spent half the night worrying about what I said to you and I spent the other half of the night moving the fence. There is the law, and then there's the spirit of the law. Seventeen years ago, another heartbreaking moment flashed before us from the diamond. Hall of Fame second baseman Roberto Alomar playing for Baltimore was called out on a third strike by another one of the great umpires of the game, John Hirschbeck. It was a bad call, Hirschbeck knew it in hindsight, but it brought the two men face to face in a verbal battle that, was, that we're used to seeing in baseball from time to time. But this time something 
awful happened. Roberto Alomar, known around the league as being one of the most respectful of players, in a moment lost his mind and did the unthinkable. He spit into the umpire's face. In the baseball world or any world, it was the worst thing he could have done and it turned the entire world of baseball against him. It went downhill from there and the two men became the bitterest of enemies. Hirschbeck carried a grudge against the second baseman for years, but the rules were the rules and you never disrespect the umpire and he had no obligation on to show a shred of grace. But then one day, Hirschbeck was preparing to umpire another game with Roberto Alomar at second base. He asked a veteran attendant what he thought about Roberto Alomar, and the man replied, you know, he is, I think, one of the two nicest men in baseball. Oh, yeah, replied the umpire, and who's the other? You. And that was the moment when the rules no longer mattered. The next day, Hirschbeck was the second base umpire just behind Roberto Alomar. Hey, Robbie, he said, how you doing? And with that, the floodgates opened and the spirit of the law began to blow. And the next day, Hirschbeck asked Alomar to come see his family and the two have since become great friends. And when Alomar was voted into the Hall of Fame, it was Hirschbeck who said that he was the greatest second baseman he'd ever seen play the game. To those under the law, I became as one under the law so that I might win those under the law. And to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law in order that I might win those outside the law. There is an end to that heartbreaking story of the umpire and the pitcher and the lost perfect game. Umpire Jim Joyce was on rotation, interestingly enough, the next day to be the umpire behind home plate. Baseball officials said it would be all right if Joyce would take a pass on the game and sit out so that he would not be subjected to the potential cruelty of the Tiger fans. No, said Joyce, I have to face the music. So as he stepped out of the tunnel and onto the field, he heard something he wasn't expecting to hear. He heard cheers, a few boos, but mostly cheers, applause from the crowd. Well, word had gotten out about the umpire's deep remorse, how he had already apologized to the pitcher. And so there was applause. Now, before the game, there's always this customary meeting of the managers at home plate to exchange their lineup cards. So umpire Jim Joyce called for the managers to come forward, but out of the Detroit dugout came not the manager, but the pitcher from the night before, Armando Galarraga, from whom he had stolen the perfect game. He came out to shake the umpire's hand and to say no hard feelings. How could you do that, the reporters asked the pitcher after the game. How could you so graciously extend yourself to someone who had just stolen from you your, your, your perfect game? 
To which the pitcher replied, perfect? Nobody's perfect. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.